Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lending podcast. On today's show, we have Justin Stouch. Did I pronounce that right, Justin? That's correct, Stouch. Stouch. There you go. He's a nailed member. He's been in lighting since he was a kid, just like me, and uh, we're going to talk about that real quick. But before we do, we got to go to the gangsters. That's right, Greg Eric. we got to go to SATCO. Go to SATCO.com. They do the light thing. They do the right thing, brother. Here's a perfect example of doing the right thing. Maybe, Scott, you're showing the website right now, but they came out with this little aware packet that I was like, ah, oh, whatever, it's a catalog. But you know what it has is everything you need, decorative fixtures, new stuff that is new, mm, that are, people yeah. are into. I had somebody that's building a new apartment building ask me for a certain style of fixture. I don't get into new new construction much at all, but when I do, I go to Satco every time because they have oh, everything, yeah. and they're up to date with the trends and the pricing is there and the colors and the availability. What more can you ask for? Satco's got it. I really like that hat you got, man. I'm just going to quickly throw mine on real quick here. Get it done. Before we keep going there, brother, because this show is brought to you by also by the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, man. You got to go to NALD.org. We've been telling you about this for four years now. We've had enough of your bullshit. You got to join, or we're not going to let you join anymore. Ain't that right, Greg Eric? That's right. Taking a stand. <laughs> What's happening, Justin? Not so much. How are you guys doing? Doing good, man. So, Justin, I looked at your website a little before we talked here. And you know, one thing that stuck out to me that I really liked was this thing that said, four steps to a lighting project. These are the four steps you guys do. You assess, you educate, you evaluate, and you save. That second one really stuck out to me, that educate part. Are you spending a lot of time when you go into your customers and educating them on their options or are you just telling them here's your option uh no we kind of do the opposite of just uh telling them here's your option uh so you know we found over doing this for a number of years that's you know lighting for many many years was always a commodity this lamp is the same as that lamp you kind of just default to a brand or a relationship but you know when leds started kind of becoming mainstream it really disrupted that 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 process at least that conventional approach so you know, we put a lot of time and effort into sort of decommoditizing the conversation, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, so what we try to do is in that educational process is not, it's, it's not just say, here's, here's what's on the shelf, here's what's available. It's kind of trying to get understanding from them in terms of what are they trying to achieve? You know, if we're talking, this is mostly for a retrofit, you know, projects, not so much on the new construction side. But, you know, if you think of every lighting project we are retrofitting think of it like a like a pie chart with with three slices it's you know it's going to affect you and energy savings maintenance savings and performance right so imagine everything kind of starts as three equal slices so in that education process what we try to find from the customer is which of those slices is the most important and that can kind of vary you know by customer it can vary by site even if the customer has multiple sites so if they say hey the site's underlit um, you know, we're not so worried about maintenance costs. We have guys on staff, you know, we're not going to fire them if, if we change up the lighting. Energy would be great, but we're only running eight hours a day. We got, you know, energy costs aren't that high. So it's performance is the primary. So we look at that. Okay, that, that slice takes up the largest. So there we're going to look at, you know, photometrics, increasing foot candles, finding products that most cost effectively are going to focus on that performance aspect. You kind of, you take the same mentality. If it's energy savings, you know, if it's a manufacturing facility running 24 hours a day, getting crushed on energy costs, or, you know, if it's street lighting and the maintenance costs are killing them, they got to keep the area lit. 
each each project's kind of a little different in terms of how they they value those slices. So in that education process, we try to try to convey that. Say, you know, here manufacturer A is going to achieve your performance, you know, at this price point. Manufacturer B is going to help your energy savings at, at this price point. So there's a lot of education that needs to be commoditization on the conversation. You know, why is one manufacturer different than the other? You know, diving into what, you know, difference in core junction temperature is, as it doesn't get you too far with a lot of customers. But, you know, it, it starts there, kind of tells them why one option is different than the other and ultimately how those options and those differences are going to affect them on the end result. So it's a long-winded answer to your very short question. That's great, though. That's, that's what I expected. That it's going to take a little time to unpack because it is a different mindset. But it, in my opinion, the right mindset is that you need to do that kind of thing. Um, I just find a lot of people, that, a lot of times that people don't really care. You know, we can try a lot. And how do you get them to care? What are you guys doing? Well, <laughs> you know, they don't care until the lights stop working, right? Yeah. That kind of goes right. back to that. You know, the product's only as good as, honestly, the manufacturer behind it. A lot mm -hmm. of stuff looks great on paper, you know, a lot of you guys had a lot of people on the podcast talking about, you know, manufacturers like why, what separates them, you know, whether it's the LED lifetime debate, you know, TM21, LM70, all of that. And that's all great. And it can look great on paper. Oh, great. 200,000 hours rated life. But tell me about the manufacturer. Who are they? Are they just, you know, a storefront in city of industry, California, that's bringing in containers full of stuff? Or do they actually have some skin in the game? Are, are they warranting color shift, right? Little things like that. So if you know, if, if you ask a manufacturer, if we have our customers ask our competitors, are you warranting color shift? And they go, uh, what? You know, it's sort of a red flag. So we try to cut through that by you know, making sure that we understand the manufacturers, you know, working even with manufacturers reps, you know, who are they? Who's behind it? How long have they been around? You can't just discount somebody if they haven't been around too long. It's, it's sort of a... You know, it's sort of a new industry to a certain degree with some manufacturers, but do they have some skin in the game? Does the manufacturer have some skin in the game or are they just buying containers and slapping a label on? So I guess that sort of answered the question, but where, where were you 23 years ago? No, man, I've, I've got plenty of horror stories. That's, that's for sure. Well, how old are you? Uh, I'm, I'm 34. So 23 years ago, I was not quite in the industry, but I was definitely, uh, putting files away and the sign yeah, and 200,000 hours is 23 years operating at 24 seven. Like, yeah. That's so, no chance. Anybody that tells anybody that is completely full of crap. I mean, especially when they're right in the specs, you know, right in the, it's, I mean, it's you tough, know what? I got, paper, I got paper here too. I can write stuff on paper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you got? Yeah. You got your, you got, you got your paper or you got a factory full of burned out lights. Which one? Yeah. I got the well, paper. I, <laughs> I like to say I've, I've lost, unfortunately, a lot of jobs by recommending the right product. And you're always going to have those those battles of attrition to a certain degree. And there's only going to be so much you can why you know, try you to fighting? educate a customer. Why are, you, why are you dying on that hill? Why not just give them what they want? Because I don't want to be in the warranty servicing business, right? No, you you know, do, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's paper again. You just write it on the paper. No. That's it's great. Yeah, sure. A couple of years down the road. Oh, hey, 70% failure rate because it's oh, it's not IP66. Yeah. It's IP63 or 64. So we've seen it happen. You know, so I've been fully in the LED world since 2008. And in the LED world, I guess it sort of feels like a lifetime. So we've seen a lot of the ups and downs. We've seen the manufacturers disappear on people. We've had it happen to us. You know, we're not we're not perfect. We, we've not batting a thousand on every manufacturer that we've evaluated. 
but it's a tremendous headache and it certainly prevents you from winning business with that customer in the future. I think I'm going to interrupt here. I think the idea that distributors are that take a position, I think that's the wrong. I think customers get what they deserve. That's how we take it. You want to go cheap? Here you go, bub. Here you go. That's El Cheapo. And uh, we've done lots of jobs like that, man. I'm telling you, Caldigan's not an LC. He doesn't know what's up. Caldigan's yeah. has a lot of light fixtures, brother. And yeah. uh, I believe in giving people what they want, and people get what they deserve. Greg Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I think to some degree, but I, you know, it's it's kind of the balancing act of like, okay, we can do that, but understand what you're doing. You know, even though I, I want them to understand, because I don't want them to come back to me and said, "You sold me this, and you did that." I love I it when they come them. back. That's my favorite part. <laughs> but, like, but that's I don't back, understand why you guys are afraid of that. I love you, it when they come get, back. Remember yeah, when I told you? To remember when I told you that people don't uh, like to admit they're wrong? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's the, that's the theme of the world right now, buddy. Yeah, um, yeah, that's but true. I mean, you know, someone comes back and they say, "Hey, you know, those those uh, you know whatever we bought from you is not working." I say, "Look, man, you got your money back three times." You got 50% from the, from the utility. What do you want from me, bud? What do you do when it's under warranty? I say the and warranty's it's... held by that company over there. All right. Very simple. And they don't I mean, this idea that you, you're not an extension of manufacturer warranty X, that's not you. You're, you got to position yourself on the same side of the table as them and say, they screwed us, man. See what I'm talking about? These guys. Now, I can fix it for you. Um, and we'll probably get a rebate to do it. Because now the tubes or whatever it is or this sort of thing, right? But, yeah, that's life now, man. I mean, anybody, any idiot that believes that something's ever going to burn out, <laughs> you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, bub. <laughs> I hate to say it, but, I mean, even these manufacturers. I mean, Greg, how many of the good ones, like even the ones back in 2016, though, these are the good ones. How many of those guys are not even in the business anymore? Or changed, yeah, a lot of them. <sighs> Come on, man. It's crazy. Let's not let's call a spade a spade here, Justin. You're playing the same game we all plan. We don't know how these fixtures are made. They're all made in China, most of them. And that's okay. I mean, the fact is that some companies are going to be there, like Sacco, the sponsor of this show. That's a company that stands behind their products. And another another company that sent me like two hundred LED light fixtures and paid to have them reinstalled. That's a company, man. But I don't know how much how long they can run that thing going for how many of those fixtures let's say they sold 10,000 of those fixtures or whatever it is I mean that can't go on forever fact is that the customer's got to pay for all these mistakes whether that's a municipality whether that's a factory or a warehouse whether it's the highest company that charged the most or the cheapest um, Chinese import nobody knows which one's going to last longer some of them are gone. Some of them aren't. Some of them color shifted. Some of them didn't. Some of them dimmed. Some of them didn't. Nobody even knows the reason why, and half the companies aren't even in the business anymore, Justin. So let me, let me ask you this. Uh, so when you sell the you know the cheaper stuff, and you do disclaim to them, if you don't disclaim to them and say, hey, listen, we're not going to be responsible for the warranty of this. That's no, I just say this is the warranty. Yeah. That's it. Well, it's a piece Here. of paper. The piece of paper. Yeah, it's yeah. a piece of paper. Here you go. This one so is this one is a hundred bucks, and this one is hundred and eighty-five bucks. I'll I'll arrange to have either one of them put up in your facility. That doesn't bother me. But do they come back when they fail, and you can't service it? The good thing about LEDs is that they actually last long enough that the anger period is usually dissipated. 
right? So a lot of times, you know, people don't remember who upgraded their lighting. A lot of times, I'm not saying I like that. I call them back and I do my thing. I'm just being straight with you here, man. This idea that I don't believe that a nailed distributor should die on the hill of quality. That's what I'm saying. Because they don't control the quality. And what we've learned is that all those companies talking about quality are gone. And so where are we now? All those distributors, I'm sold you quality, yeah, except for that company doesn't doesn't sell lighting anymore and they're they exited stage left. I mean, yeah. I'm not ending up with egg on my face. I'm giving the straight goods to the customer. This is what it is. This one's a hundred, that's one one eighty five. What do you want to do? Fair enough. That's a fair enough statement. I've just I've I've I guess I've found that those repeat sales, that customer, they dwindle after you have that warranty issue and the product doesn't get I there. I think it's higher. I think the more likely the warranty problem, the more likely I'm going to get more revenue down the road. I think it's the other way around. If you're just straight with people and, you know, hey, my fixtures are burned out. Yeah, you got your money back two or three times and light fixtures out. You got a big fat rebate to do it. A lot of problems with this fixture, whatever. Manufacturer's not honoring the warranty. What do you want to do? I guess buy another one, right? Maybe this time you should listen to me. Huh? Maybe this time you'll do what I tell you to do. Well, I think that's a key point is that is that you are telling them that. You're, you're not just saying here's 100, here's 185. Here's 100 and here's 185 because of this. Yeah, but I don't know. I, back in 2016, bro, I didn't know if the 185 one was going to last longer either, to be honest with right. you. They just came yeah, out yeah. with their latest and greatest too. <laughs> 10-year <Sure>. warranty, <laughs> my ass. I hate, I'm hot yeah. today, buddy. But, I, I mean, you know, it's like, come on, man. Come on, man. Did you, did you have a manufacturer disappear on you lately or something, something a little sore on that? On no, that I'm subject. not sore at all. Sure. I'm just, I know, I'm not <laughs> sore at all. I'm not sore at all. I, I'm, I'm completely realistic with this, man. I have 100% realism, Justin. So if you're issue. in a competitive situation and you, you take that realism and then there's somebody selling a similar product going, no, they'll be here. They've been around. This is the latest and greatest. So how, how do you compete in that scenario? If you're going to be well, honest. first of all, I ask problems. the questions, but... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but that's right. No, I'm joking with you. Of course, this, conversation. This, is a, right. this, is, this is a nail talk conversation. Clearly, this oh, is yeah. like what happens at a convention. If you're if you've ever been to a nail convention, you're having a nail conversation right now. You know what? Right. Um, so I always ask them like your your family's obviously been in the line business. I tell them my family's been in this business for almost 400,000 hours. It's a long time, man. That's since 1977. And, uh, you know, how long is the other guy? Been? You want to go with that guy? That's it doesn't bother me, man. I'm 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 a best price guy. I always like to put the best price on the table and then add a premium. So this mm -hmm. is the best price because I don't like to I don't like to drive around and lose deals. I like Fair to enough. be. I like that, I like that approach. The how many hours because it equates easily. Yeah. You know what's the L seventy on your uh, on your on your experience? Yeah. What what do you what's your light dimming rate, buddy? Your lumen maintenance. My <laughs> lumen maintenance is a hundred percent, brother. In fact, I'm increasing in my lumen maintenance, buddy. I so. Like you know, I mean, that's what I say. And, you know, we lose deals, but I don't want to lose deals on price. I don't want to do, lose deals on, uh, look, at Toronto has more Chinese immigrants than any any other city in the world. So the, I took Greg on a tour of, of Toronto around my shop. Within the last six or seven years, there's like 35 LED shops that have sprung up within a walking distance of my shop. I'm competing wow. against these guys. They're good people. I don't have a problem with them, but they go out of business like crazy. I'll tell you that. I've seen so, that. Yeah. So how long has, has Stouch Lighting been in business? So Stouch Lighting's been around uh, since since 2008. 
right? It's when we, uh, okay. it's when we were, we were born, so to speak. And what um, were you doing? Yeah, was, Your family was in it. It sounded like. Yeah. So my family, my father's had, my father had a sign, light, and electrical and a project management company that he started back in 1993, and they kind of existed in the same space, obviously prior to you know, the LED. It's called revolution, so to speak. Um, and that's kind of where I came up. You know, as soon as I was old enough to do anything of any use for a small business, I was I was in there. You know, um, age 12, 13, you know, licking stamps, put on mailers, just getting the idea, working with subcontractors, working with national customers, and not so much on the, on the new construction, but, you know, primarily in the retail world and in the project-based world. So, um, you know, back in 2008, uh, he was working with a manufacturer on, on some unrelated project and they had asked, hey, do you want to open up a distributorship outside of you know, the Philadelphia area where, where we're located? And he said, they said, sure, of course, 2008, that's LEDs are, are the future, all right? Uh, but they couldn't do it under the, the previous company's brand name. So Stouchling was created as a, as a new entity. Um, at the time, I was still in college. Uh, so I went to work, you know, while still in college for, for Stouch Lighting, trying to, you know, in between classes, you know, call, sell a wall pack here, parking lot there, you know, just kind of grinding away and, and learning a lot. When I graduated in, in 2010 and came off full time, you know, we only had this one brand, this one manufacturer that we were working with, who's still not a very big player in this space. And what we quickly found out was that, you know, they had maybe a parking lot and a high bay and a wall pack. We'd get talking to customers like, all right, well, we have all this other stuff at our facility. We don't just want to kind of piecemeal it. If we're going to do it, put the money into it, let's do everything. So we started sort of adapting the business model to that. We started bringing on different manufacturers taking kind of a, a solution-oriented approach in terms of the manufacturers that we did evaluate. And again, 2008, 2009, sort of the, sort of the wild west in terms of LED manufacturers. There wasn't as many as there were now, but there was even less continuity. I think that was before DLC was even around. I think LG had was like lighting facts. So there was no really way to compare one to another. So the claims were more outrageous than that they, they had no baseline. Um, it wasn't as much of an import business. Surprisingly, so, there was a lot of manufacturers doing this. A lot of U.S. manufacturers, you know, manufacturers, uh, box in, box out kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, there was. There was but, Canadian manufacturers too. Actually, yes, there was. Right, yes, right. Yeah, we've yeah. we've done. We've yeah. A remember CRS we've, Electronics? I do. I remember CRS. They uh, won, a couple the, still they won an award in 2012 at Lightfair. Remember that? Yeah. LED roadway lighting. I think that's yeah. up by up by you. Sure. So we've you know we learned a lot about those guys. You know, not those guys in particular, but all those out there. So. That's where the business model started to, to come into place. It wasn't like we were, you know, some kind of profit and thought, hey, this is the way we're going to, this way we're going to do it. This way we're going to enter. It's not the way we enter. It's the way we sort of adapted to what we were seeing. You know, we weren't, you know, we start we, we bring on some inventory, but six months later, it'd be out of date. You know, I don't need 10,000 lamps of 4,000 Kelvin if the customer wants 3,000 Kelvin. It doesn't do me any good. And another six months later, they're out of date, right? So, you know, the efficacies have gone up. Pin, pin patterns or base patterns are different, mounting are different. So we just completely lost the whole, you know, in, stocking inventory approach um, and really, you know, work with manufacturers that some do keep, do, do a good job of keeping domestic inventory. Some don't, but it doesn't mean they're bad or, or good. It's just, we have to adapt the project. If a project requires a quick turnaround time, we have to you know, narrow our field with manufacturers that have the domestic inventory. So it's kind of the way we evolved, um, you know, since really since 2010, we've continued to adapt to things that we've seen. We've learned a lot of lessons along the ways, you know, working with manufacturers that have either disappeared or, like I said, said their products were IP66, you put them out, 
massive failures. You know, water's getting into them. Water's just always an issue. The gasketing back in the day seemed to always be a problem. Power supplies, where are they getting those? How are they replacing them? You know, and then how they handle warranties. Going back to that warranty discussion, right? You know, if I hear, yeah, take it down and send it back, and if there's something wrong, we'll send it back to you. You know, if that conversation happens with the manufacturer, they're they're gone. We're not we're not dealing with that. So you're you're um. That's interesting. So you're 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 on the green. So like most nail distributors, were had no interest in LEDs in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, mm-hmm. two thousand eleven. Greg, what do you what do you say? Yeah, I think it was about thirteen that you saw the first 13, power lamp that, 14, that I saw. I was like, okay, you know, I was still selling high yeah. bay fluorescent in two thousand fifteen. Still selling T yep. eight high bays and that. So you're in early. So you must have had a lot of catastrophic things happen in the early days. We've had one or two. Uh, catastrophic things. Yeah. One or two, you know, uh, man, back in 2012, we closed a a street lighting project and 2012, you know, the world had not taken over the street lighting. It wasn't, you know, the race to the bottom that it was today. It was like Mm -hmm. 1400 street lights, which was, was was pretty big for, for 2012. Mm -hmm. So it was a manufacturer, a U.S. manufacturer. Uh, all the product specs looked great. The product looked great. The measurements were great. They performed great once we got them in the air. So we ship half the half the uh, half the project. A couple of weeks go by. We're waiting on the second order. Nothing. We're, we're all going in the dark. Don't hear back. Turns out they lost their funding. Couldn't complete the order. Right. So we had basically half of a completed job that we were contractually <laughs> obligated to deliver. And that's 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 the great part. That, that's not even I'm sorry. That's not even the best part. A couple yeah. of months later, we start like, hey, these things are failing like crazy. Why, why are they failing? Like, there's water in them everywhere. Every single light mm-hmm. has got water, like, even in the individual diode covers, right? This was back when mm-hmm. each diode had its own optic, which is great sure. from an optic perspective. But you know, so it turns out that uh, the other fixtures were not IP65 or IP66, I don't recall. They were like IP63. They're basically damp location canopy fixtures that they adapted for street lights. So as soon as they got in the air, just water. This was in the Northeast, right? So it rains, it snows, mm-hmm. gets cold, it gets hot. So just uh, the fixtures that did ship that were installed, you know, union labor failed catastrophically. So that's my, that's my biggest one. That's my, that's my worst experience. And it happened early. So, you know, after that, we've only had, we've had a couple manufacturers disappear on us, but nothing like catastrophic like that. We were lucky to get through it. Luckily we had a pretty good relationship with the customer, but you know, that kind of stuff really shaped the way we, we go about, you know, looking at products. Definitely. And did your, was your dad the owner then to start or were you? Uh, I took over ownership right, right before that. Right. So he was still, he still has his company, he's still working it. So he's like, I can't oh. do this. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. even going to do this. So I was, you know, a little green, to say the least, you know, kind of just thrown I'm into sure. it and said, Hey, I need sales, figure it out. So it's definitely <laughs> a learning experience, but it was a tremendous learning experience. You know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, a lot of tutelage you know my experience was started early and i learned a lot along the way uh but you know i definitely was shaped by a lot of those early experiences you know having been purely led since since 08 it, it's the, i think i've sold i sold like maybe a dozen t5 high bays a couple <laughs> fluorescent lamps that's like my total i know a lot about fluorescent but i did not that was never our primary objective it was always you know about fluorescents. <laughs> I do. I know a lot. Yeah. Yes, I certainly do. 
Is that that one manufacturer you started with? You don't say any names. Are they still around? <laughs> no, they are certainly not. Oh, well, the manufacturer that I started with. Yes. I think so. They are. Okay. They are, but you know, yeah. even at they were the highest. We didn't know it, but they were like the highest price point, longest lead time thing in the world, even in 08. You know, we were competing against uh, Rudd at the time. You know, Bait was Rudd, then Beta, then Cree, and they they sure. were killing it back then. So. It was definitely a, definitely a, a learning experience along the way. What do you think it was the highest uh, sales year you had going only LED? So my company's always been everything. Mike's always been everything. Um, I know from an LED standpoint, just to share, I think ours highest was 18 and 19, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, it's probably us as well. LED. Yeah, okay. Yeah, probably us as well. Obviously, uh, we started seeing... You know, obviously 2020 was an interesting year, uh, mm -hmm. but we started seeing at the end of 2019 supply chains start getting hit a little bit, you know, for products coming over from, from Asia. So that started to affect even in 20, 2019, but definitely in the lead up, you know, we're working our, we're, we're on our way back up, but that was, you know, we, we've been on a pretty continuous upward clip, luckily, but you know, 18, 19 is probably the peak of it at this point. And do you guys have an electrical contracting division too, or do you sub all of that out? We sub all of that out. Um, you know, we have like 3000 resource partners, you know, across the country. Um, you know, it depends on the project, obviously, because you have electrical contractors and then you have lighting contractors and not everybody knows this, but they are very different entities, yeah, sure. different types of projects. Um, you know, your lighting contractors, maybe not going to be the best approach to a million square foot distribution facility where you're working around conveyor belts and everything, right? You know, two, three shifts at a pop. Uh, but at the same time, you know, your electrical contractor who's used to doing new builds, they're not going to necessarily be able to handle or want to do, you know, a, a hundred fixture shopping center or something like that, where it's just bucket work. Most skilled electricians hate doing lighting retrofits. It's super boring. Yes. Like, they just get bored. Like there's lighting electricians and then there's like real, like a, not real, but like electricians. No, I they know you mean. Yeah, the guys yeah. running the conduit and stuff. Yeah, yeah pulling wire. They mm -hmm. want to like you know they want to mm -hmm. build a building or something, put a panel in and run the circuits and think about it. You know, change the ballast, change the ballast, put the tubes. You know, take out the ballast, run the wires. Take out the ballast, run the wires. Take out the ballast, run yeah. the wire. A lot of guys have a that that's a tough gig for um for you know um a highly skilled electrician. He's not going to want to do that or she's not going to yeah, do that. We found a lot of the sign guys went to the lighting world, right? So the electrical contractors have always been the electrical contractors. A lot of the ones that were in the sign business, which was actually LED before the lighting business. Sure it was, yeah. Um, they are the ones that you – that for at least for the outdoor stuff, right, um, you, you find some continuity there. It makes it a little easier. But you're right, you know, because the lighting company gets big enough on a big enough project, it sort of can become a, almost a competitor, Right, they're kind of trying to do the same thing. So, that those large lighting projects, lighting only, can they can be tough um, in terms of trying to find the right resource partner. But they are out there, and we're we're fortunate to have a pretty good base of that. I've trained half my competitors, Greg. <laughs> you know, like trained they, them and they've moved yeah, on. Yeah, and they just mm -hmm. you know, electricians started their own company. And it's basically a lighting installation company. Um, and you know, I, I got respect for that. That's great. Good for them. I have no problem with them. In that sense, tell me a little bit about what you see in the future. Are you excited right now? Are you a little bit down? What city are you in primarily? Are you in a region? Are you regionally based? So we're based out of Philadelphia, but we do work, you know, all over the country. Um, 
you know, I'm, I guess I, I guess I'm a habitual optimist. I'm always excited about yeah. stuff, yeah. but you know, there's different verticals that are exciting in different ways, right? So, so yeah, we do offer like turnkey, you know, projects and things like that. But you know, primarily, our business just is just on the supply side. Um, the, the newer stuff, the human centric stuff, is very interesting. But when I, I'm ultimately more concerned about the ability to implement, mm. right? Yeah, agree. Considering the variables in the field, right? So I get to a site. And, oh, wait, these wall packs are actually on photo cells. We didn't know that. The customer didn't convey that. You know, back in the day, you have to like, oh, well, we need, now we need to know the exact voltage. Not, not just, is it 120, 277, or 480? We need to know 120, 240, all that stuff. But now you can get these fixtures that you can send out and you can select a photo cell. You can select a color in the field. The customer doesn't mm-hmm. like it. You know, if it's like a franchise, you're doing a national thing for a franchise, you know, one group of buildings may want, 4,000 Kelvin, but this municipality may want, may require 3,000 Kelvin and photocells and additional if you're doing like California, whatever other complicated space. So the ability to kind of implement large projects, but adapt at individual site levels. I think that part of the technology mm. is cool. Um, I think that's exciting. It makes you, you know, kind of- It's interesting that you think that's human centric. Like that's actually- It's a, not, no, I don't, that, well, I actually uh, think you're right about that. I actually think you're right because what, it, what you're saying is that humans like choice. Right. Huh? And oh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. And so like, you know, oh, you don't like that. So we don't have to replace everything. We just have the guy that's just going to go flick a little toggle switch on the inside of the fixture. And now it's the color you want it. There's something human centric about that, Greg Eric. That might be the real human centric, mm. you know, and that's what we've talked about <laughs> and gone back and forth is yeah. what is it? There's no prescription for it. So it's got to be choice. So give me the choice and then I can pick. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but without like changing the structure of a project, right? without overly complicating because it's great you can give a customer a million options but ultimately you you need to cost effectively implement them right Mm. so that ability to sort of in the field right there's a lot of great cool architectural stuff out there we don't really get into that too much but some really cool architectural stuff that you know really dives into the true nature of you know what people can conventionally think of as as human centric the circadian aspects you know blue light all all that but ultimately when it comes to actually getting product in the air Right. Mm. What I like can we line. provide Getting that product? In yeah. here. I like that. <laughs> you know, what, what, what can we, how do we do it without killing I mean, this, ourselves? This guy I don't, sells I don't, light fixtures you know. every day or light bulbs every day for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, speaking I'm, of, I'm, I'm an architect yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> speaking of product in the air, this is what I kind of wanted to segue to. And I read in your bio here, a UVC distribution and implementation company. Ooh. A UVC, mm. you know, came out hot. I even sold some without really knowing much about it, but it's completely died for me. You know, I've, I've attempted here and there, but haven't had any sales. I've talked to others in the industry that were big into it, died right now. Mm-hmm. It's just died. Nobody's buying it. Where are you at? Are you selling this stuff still? Yeah, we're still selling it, right? So we came okay. at it a little bit differently. So we were we were sure. getting into it before the pandemic hit, you know, something to take to our healthcare customers, right? So UVC obviously has been in activating pathogens, right? For, for quite a while. It's not like a new technology. There's different types of ways to implement it, but uh, obviously it picked up. We got a tremendous amount of interest in it. You know, if you like Google UVC germicidal radiation, like stouch lighting pops up pretty well. You know, we put a lot of effort into that and we definitely sold a decent amount of it, um, but it was something we were getting into before 
And so I knew the uh, the Puro guys. I saw that I saw that you guys you had those guys on mm-hmm. you know, I guess a couple of podcasts ago. I knew them before the pandemic hit. And we were starting to look at that product, and we sort of you know took the uh, the same approach that you know you and I, Michael, went went back and forth there in the beginning. You know, give the customers what they ask for. <laughs> UVC, you can't. You know, there's there's sort of a danger there. You can't do that. So. We definitely, again, lost a lot of th- lost a lot of opportunity because what we weren't selling were wands. We mm-hmm. stuck to the clinical validation approach, right? And what people were want you can you can use UV in, UV in two ways: either while a space is occupied or when a space is unoccupied, right? And they, you, you you tackle pathogens in in two different ways. So we did a lot of spent a lot of time educating ourselves, you know, making putting out a lot of content and try to just find a narrow group of products that we were comfortable in. So we found that there was, I'm sure you saw this, there was two groups of potential customers when UVC was blown up. There was people that wanted to look like they were killing germs, and there was people that wanted to actually kill the germs, right? Mm -hmm. The people that wanted to look like they were killing germs were putting blue lights in their ceiling or on their wall so their customers or their their employees were like, oh, it's, it's working. The reality is there was no quantifiable effect of that actually having any effect on an activating viral or bacterial or fungal pathogens. So we we stuck to the we can prove it we want to be able to prove it and we here's some actual data to prove it so it's still we're still in the works with that it's more on the air quality kind of spectrum than it is just kind of the UV world um, but we still it's still a tough sell but you know in the in the hospital world you need to prove it right you need to be able to say you know X log reduction we're inactivating these but pathogens hang on. So you, these you've done you've done so. Okay, so I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's the hygiene theater crowd, right? Yeah. Which, you know, hey, um, I don't have a problem with hygiene theater. I think it's, you know, if you're walking your kids through. I've recently toured a whole bunch of private schools, boarding schools and non-boarding schools and stuff like that. And it would be interesting to say, you know, if one of them had, you know, and we disinfect between each class with, you know, this. some parents would have totally bought that whole hog. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've sold into hospitals, operating rooms, stuff like that, because that's where the rubber meets the road, brother. It is. And that's where we want to be. So, yes, okay. uh, I don't know if they use it particularly in the in the operating room. Operating rooms are actually pretty well set up, mm-hmm. typically prior to even introducing a surface disinfection method. Mm-hmm. Right. So t- t- hospitals are mostly in- interested in surface disinfection, which is that it's you can't right. be in yeah, the space. Right about that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause it's bacteria. That's an issue, right? So viruses like SARS CoV-2 that's going to exist in the air and that's yeah, primarily aerosols. transmitted. Yeah, yes. Aerosols, yeah. So that's very, very difficult to like quantifiably say, we're going to clear this room of SARS CoV-2 in X minutes. Not if somebody's in the space and they're breathing in your face, it's, it's hard. That's why you can, you can, if you have the right data, but that's why they still, the masking and, and things like that are still in place. But for hospitals, healthcare, and actually schools. Right. Um, and long term, it's uh, bacterial issues that are, are a bigger concern. And that is where the rubber meets the road. How do we quantify that? How do we kill it? So, yes, we are selling into that. And, you know, our customers there starts with the infection prevention team and the facilities guys. Infection prevention needs to see X, Y and Z in terms of data. Facilities got to go. All right. How do I rotate these things to the room? How do I install them? What's the effect on my load? Mm. Right. Are we going to put it into our building automated control system? 
So there's only a few manufacturers out there that can quantifiably say, hey, we are going to kill norovirus. Hey, we so are going it, to kill all okay, that. Okay, so I, I just want to break this back a little bit. So with the people that are listening, there's air disinfection and there's surface disinfection. And yes. those are totally different things. Doing those things are totally different. Um, I've, you know, I kind of went in and backed out because I felt like the majority of the gains for the, because everyone's paranoid about COVID-19 um, and that's an aerosol. And so I felt like it was more of an HVAC play. Greg, like, wouldn't you, you know, didn't we kind of come to that conclusion that, you know, most of the gains are going to be had in the ducts, the return and the, and the air ducts where that's coming out. So the, the SARS is going in or whatever, tuberculosis, whatever you got goes in. There's a, there's an entry point where they're hitting, getting hit with the nanometers and then there's an exit point and they get hit with the nanometers on the way through. And they know that this much radiation at this level with this passage of air maximum is going to inactivate, as you said so correctly, Justin, is going to inactivate those pathogens. Um, and then when you look at, if anybody, if you've never done this, you should go to a loading dock somewhere and look at an air filter from a commercial high-rise building. That is hazardous waste. Those things are disgusting. If you think the mm -hmm. one in your home is disgusting, you should see one from a commercial high-rise office tower. But anyway, Greg, didn't you? Didn't we kind of come? To the, get, didn't get a grip on lighting? Kind of come to the conclusion that it's more of an HVAC play than a, a lighting play. Uh, yeah, and and that probably uh, coincides with why I don't sell much of it anymore. What I was selling <laughs> was the, you know, was the the stuff that I could understand, which was a UV cart. Yeah, plug sure. it in, move yeah. it around, get out of the room, do your thing. And so that's what I was selling. And then, but yeah, after a lot of discussions we had, it kind of seemed like that was where it's at. But Justin, and I would agree. I mean, you're yeah. So yeah. for the, for the most part, you're 100 percent correct. And by the way, hygiene theater that's that's going. That's in my that's in my uh, my my next discussion with somebody. About oh, that's an that arrow in your quiver, brother. Uh, and, and you like know it. what? I like it. We'll I would suggest them. speak to people about it seriously, like not you know, as a what? yeah. Because no, people want, you talk to a principal of a, of, a, of a boarding school, I was talking to one of them, I said, you need some hygiene theaters, what's that? Uh -huh. It's like you put a little thing yeah. on the wall and the light's on and you say, yeah, that's disinfecting the air. Kills right. COVID. Yeah, so, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> kills SARS-CoV-2, prevents COVID. Yeah, okay, you're right. Hey, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, you guys make a good point that it is, it is an HVAC play for a lot of conventional spaces. But, mm. you know, so we're in the business of trying to make a financial case. A lot of our projects, we have to justify an investment. All right. And here's where the surface disinfection justifies it in healthcare, right? In particularly. So uh, you guys are familiar with the term uh, healthcare associated infection, HAIs, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So what that is, is an infection a patient gets in a hospital. Sure. And most often it's bacteria related. Bacteria staff is typically staff infections. Yeah, staff, like MRSA, yeah. C. Diff, exactly. Right. So insurance often that more often than not will not pay for healthcare associated infections, basically the treatment of HAIs. Mm -hmm. Patient goes in, gets staph, gets MRSA, gets C. diff, right? Hospitals paying for that, right? So what hospitals are looking for is a way to quantifiably reduce the likelihood of those infections. So now we've taken it just from an HVAC play or whatever it is, hygiene theater. Now we can make a case, right? These products in a half hour or in five minutes will disinfect this, well, I don't really like the term, will inactivate, right, MRSA in this entire room, quantifiably, right? You know, we'll go in there, we'll test, we know what it takes, you know, so UVs, 
you know, UV's ability to, to inactivate pathogens is related to dosage, distance, and duration, right? So we yeah, can what quantify that, all that. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump in on here. When you're talking about a hospital, and this is where mm -hmm. this is where you know when people try to take this technology and apply it to other areas where they kind of they should realize they're stumbling, and that mm -hmm. is when you're saying disinfect or inactivate, right? What you're talking yeah. about is a clean surface, right? So we're talking about a surface that's been cleaned and now or is not does not have a whole bunch of grime on it. So when these when they're talking about disinfecting the surface, they're talking about a surface that's not a like very dirty with with that 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 you're it's able to penetrate all of the pores of the surface with this light. This disinfection happens. That's very very well understood in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And not so well understood in a classroom, say, where there's yes. a lot more dirt and it's not nearly cleaned as well. Yeah, it comes down to what's what's the liability? What's the cost of not yeah. putting – it comes down to dollars, right? Like you said, sure. we could do the hygiene theater all the time. But, you know, when it comes to public institutions, you know, places that receive public money, they tend to be more susceptible to litigation, right? So – yeah, at what point do schools become financially responsible for outbreaks of infectious diseases? Never. Right? Yeah. Well, you don't think so? I, uh, I think the answer start? to that, I, I think what, I think, and not to walk this path, sure. but, um, you know, it, it's like the mask studies. It's the same thing. Okay? If you wear a mask perfectly and you wear a clean mask and you change it every time, yes, there's going to be an effect of less virus transmission. That's not what happens in the real world, brother. I got yeah. masks on the floor of my car. My kid needs a mask. Here's a <laughs> like what really happens in the real world is different. But yeah. there needs to be a voluntary assumption of risk with infectious diseases that, are, that everybody just chills out and says, look, you want to eat in a restaurant? You want to go to a school? You want to go to a movie theater? There's lots of naked apes there. Some of them are coughing. Some of them are sick. Some of them took Dayquil, okay? Mm -hmm. So they're hiding it, right? Some of them are vaccinated and are now on non-symptomatic super spreaders or whatever the hell the new terms are, right? So you just have to assume that risk and move on with your life. Otherwise, you're never going to tackle that. So you say, did the school do everything they could to mitigate it? That's your argument, right? You're saying yeah, well, the, the school yeah, did everything they could to mitigate it, right? So what do you want that money uh, spent on? Skylights, which increase IQ? Skylights, <laughs> which increase your, test scores? Lighting. Yes. Right? So, so what are we going to do? Sun tunnels or disinfection? Like that's a, there's a, where, where do you draw the line with that? So I'm challenging you here, man. I'm not, you know, this no, is not good. about a yes I fest. It. I mean, I, I could be on your side. Totally. Yeah. Right, no. but so what's where's the business case? So if you can increase test scores by seventeen percent using sun tunnels or skylights versus this disinfection, because there isn't a limited amount of money, how do we make that case as an industry? Because it's the same thing in a way. Yeah, and look, SARS-CoV-2 is, is a poor example if we're using it because these aerosol-based pathogens are not going to be disinfected or like implementing surface-based disinfection mm -hmm. is not going to stop the spread of that, mm -hmm. right? So looking beyond the pandemic world that we're currently in and thinking more of the things that are transmissible that are hardy, you know, if anybody's got kids, they've brought home a norovirus, right? It's a 48-hour bug that just wipes out your entire family, right? It's miserable. 
Um, those are the types of things in the future that can be preventable. And that's where we have to try to find that quantifiable aspect. Like, where's the money? Like, what is the cost of shutting down a school or a lab? Most, and I, again, we said hospitals, that case is easily, it's more easily made. Sorry, making up words, easierly, whatever that was. Um, <laughs> but in schools, like, there's now a cost. Now we really see the cost of kids not being able to go to school. And now the parents got to stay home, right? So this, what the pandemic has done is, is brought to the forefront the effect of kids not being in school, right? And how it affects people's ability to be productive at home. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. When I, If they're home and I'm working, not a good day. I love them to death, but, you know, they're banging on the door, bugging me for snacks, whatever it is, sure. you know, so it's hard. That's the world we live in. We have to do our best, right? But if the situation is an unforced error, what is that dollar amount worth? And I don't have it, you know, quantified yet. I don't have an exact dollar amount for your answer. But I'm saying, you know, in the gyms and the cafeteria, because UV light, it can also be used to help, you know, inactivate E. coli, salmonella. Again, let these me, bacteria, let me throw, let me throw a little wrench in the spokes, okay? fire away um so what if like you know so this sounds a lot like 1950s antibiotics right like now we're gonna um yeah what do you got you have a sore throat here take these antibiotics you have a sore throat take these antibiotics oh the yep. cows oh the cows need to give them antibiotics right and you know, what about the unknown unknowns? Like, what if you're going to make super pathogens with these? Uh, you know, like, I, I, right. I just feel no, like... I love it. No, love it. I feel it like, I, you know, I feel like it's, you know, yeah, yeah, we killed the bacteria today. You know, I mean, bacteria is a lot older than humans, man. And uh, they've been around a long time. And they have a trajectory of, like, you want to mess with us? <laughs> yeah, okay, that might work for a couple decades. But the reason why there is... These staph infections, what do you call them, HCIVs or whatever they're called? HAIs. Those exist because of human interventions. Yes. So that's a good point. I'm glad you brought it up because, yes, there are bacteria. I'm sorry. There are antibiotic-resistant uh, pathogens, and that is one of the issues with those HAIs. C. diff, MRSA, staph, hard to kill, right? Uh, so pathogens and organisms uh, cannot develop a resistance to UVC light, right? Because it disrupts the cellular DNA. So it's completely different in the way to tax it. So UVC is not something that exists on Earth. So you talk about bacteria being around a lot longer than humans. Well, as long as there's been an atmosphere, yeah, the in which case that's... kicks care of that UVC for us. Yes, exactly. But, you know, life could not exist even in bacterial form without an atmosphere. Hmm. And while that atmosphere has been there, UVC has been deflected, essentially, right? You're talking to a redhead, so I feel like everywhere I go, I'm getting hit with some kind of <laughs> something burning me, right? You know, I'm getting, I'm getting burnt with my human-centric lighting above me. But, you know, those pathogens, it, it just disrupts. It's the, you, know, you know, we're not just wiping it clean, like you said. We're not getting rid of grime. What you're doing is you're preventing them from reproducing. You're not saying your body is stopping it, right? That's not how UVC is working. You're, you're inactivating the pathogen's ability to reproduce. If it can't reproduce, it can't cause harm. And you do that by basically screwing up the DNA of it. And that's, gotta that's how Fred, it We got to get Fred Van Lee up in here, buddy. No, I mean, <laughs> we got to get Fred Van Lee up back on the show. Greg, you're up. Um, so what is the most recent UV project you did? Install. Explain it. Uh, we're working on a couple projects right now for a, a hospital. Like, I don't want to, I can't really say the name yeah, right sure. now. Of course. No, that's but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a couple, it's, it's several folds. So they are looking at the mobile units, right? Which a lot of, like you mentioned, the carts, you wheel around. Mm. 
but we had to take you know a quantifiable approach with it where we went in we set them up um and we did the test at a variety of points because this place is based in an area where they have a very high senior population mm. right so seniors tend to be more susceptible to those HAIs, right? And it costs hospitals millions of dollars to deal with that. So they were like, we got we to gotta get rid of MRSA in 15 minutes. We want C. diff gone in two hours. So we had to kind of look at the space and scale it up based on the square footage and put enough units in there and then place them in the right. So we had to kind of build a book for them, right? Mm. Something that is, I don't want to call it idiot proof, but something that can be sort of implemented as part of the janitorial process. The, the units go here, they go on for this long, you move them to the next room. The room has been cleared for a MRSA patient. The room has been cleared after a C. diff patient. So you have to, it's not just you're wheeling in, pop it on. No, we're trying to attack specific things. Um, so right now we're working on that project. That is potentially a pretty big one. Uh, we're also working with, you know, a healthcare oh. equipment provider. Go, yeah, real go quick before, before you move on, this hospital one sounds complex and it sounds like you haven't sold anything yet. Are you getting paid for all this work? Oh, no, we have. We've sold. Oh, yeah, okay. we've sold it's plenty of units. units. Yes. But now Perfect. we're trying to implement it so that they do it across, you know, a couple hundred Got hospitals. It. Put it that way. Okay. So we have sold it. Yeah. Um, another one that we are working on, have not sold to be specific yet, but we are working on, which is pretty cool, is for, a, you know, a medical equipment uh, distributor where they have to disinfect things I along their- I think that's their... the best application. But it's still surface-based, right? Yes. Yeah, because I think that's the now, best application for it. Yes, I agree with you. It's, it, they have to clean Before it gets equipment. packaged or whatever. Yes, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, since they're totally in the medical totally equipment agree. field, and it circles yep. back to the medical world, that is a selling point for them. So it always sure. comes down to the dollars. Like we're not, yep. again, we're not in the hygiene therapy uh, aspect because it, it needs to make sense. Either the customer offers it as a value add or it's actually preventing the cost of something. Right. We still have to make so the dollars still have to make sense. So they want, but it's, you know, we can't bottleneck it, right? We can't implement UV and cause a bottleneck in their assembly line or in their whatever mm -hmm. whatever production line. So you still you have, you know, X amount of time. These things are going on the conveyor. We have to construct an apparatus around it and figure out what makes the most sense within the space that we have. So it's a tricky engineering problem that luckily I don't have to deal with directly. We leave that to the engineers on the manufacturing side, but that's, that's some cool stuff. And that's, yeah. I think you'll see that in, in, in the space of like large distribution centers, things are getting on the customer. Cause that bacteria, again, not viruses, really that bacteria can survive a trip in a truck, right? It can go from one place to another. Somebody has Who a normal virus. I mean, at the end of the day, someone that's cranking out these supplies and packaging them up as sanitized or disinfected or whatever their, their logo is, yeah. you're adding to that. And it, it for them, it, it, that's just another value add to their customer, right? And it, yeah, it, agree. It, and if it works, it works. You know, um, how about airports, man? I've always felt like airport washrooms in these places where, you know, where many people are going into. I don't think anyone have would have a problem with like a mall washroom or an airport washroom. Have you had any success in those kind of property management more applications? We haven't. Those have been, you know, at least during the height of the pandemic, the more uh, you know hygiene theater. Looking yeah, sure. aspects because what you can't do is interfere with the operation, right? Sure, we could we could put surface disinfection, we could put it mounted permanently in the ceiling, and have it on a timer to go off after an absence of occupancy. Sure, and, but then but then people somebody walk back in, you got to shut that off. So that that all that exists, but it needs to operate in order to quantifiably eradicate the viruses and you know eradicate the the pathogens. Sure. So in those spaces, you're talking about the air disinfection, right? 
And if you're building new and you can design the HVAC structure to circulate the air and pack enough, you know, UVC disinfection, whether it's, you know, whether it's mercury vapor, pulsing on, whatever it is, LED, LED is not quite, quite there yet. Um, then sure, that is great because you can design the air to circulate effectively around it. That's the way uh, operating. One of, the, one of the things about the disinfection thing that makes, as, as we've all been in the LED game for so long, mm -hmm. the LED makes me nervous because you can't change a bulb. You know, like, you know, when you put that F15, T8, um, you know, whatever, 350 nanometer uh, mercury tube in there, it's new. If the ballast is working, it's doing the disinfection. And they know from water treatment and like there's years of experience. The LED makes me look that, which is where Puro has got that Xenon, Xenon pulse. Again, yeah. you got a replacement lamp, right? Mm -hmm. And you have this like, okay, with the LED, with the lumen maintenance and the dirt and whatever, I feel like we're blind to how long this technology might actually work for, you know? Well, so I'm nervous, but I'm nervous about that. But I was one more thing I want to ask you about. So you got one minute on the answer, answer to that. All question. right. Okay. <laughs> so, sure. So uh, you're looking at disinfection from a general illumination standpoint, yeah. right? No, they're not going to last as long. Um, and you're thinking of like, oh, the maintenance, the operation. The reality is, you mercury vapor is not lasting very long. None of this stuff's lasting very long. So, yeah, but what's we the know, counterbalance? We know because the bulbs burned out. Yes. Well, and again, LEDs. Like, there's still a lot. There's still a ways to go, but can you still make the quantifiable monetary argument that the energy consumption will be so much less and you still get the disinfection that it's worth it? But you're right. It still doesn't need to be like changeable. You need to be able to maintain it, service it. So I agree. It, like it's, those are questions that need to be kind of ironed out a little bit better. Darkness. What are you doing with darkness, man? Dark skies. Dark sky? Are you, are you uh, struggling you know, we, like the rest of us? Have you done any projects with darkness and dark sky related projects? Low Kelvin temperature, shielded cutoff, all that kind of stuff. Turtles. You know, turtles, yeah. So we were heavy into street lighting. We did thousands and thousands of street lighting uh, back in 2014, 2015, did a lot, you know, you know, with, with Cree, with Phillips, a couple other manufacturers. It became such a race to the bottom mm -hmm. that, you know, we made more money on a $200,000 shopping center on our street light project. It's just something that we have sort of, to a certain degree, phased ourselves out. You know, we do some decorative things, but if you're doing decorative, it's not really dark sky. So, no, you know, sure, we have products available. We're working, we have a customer, you know, we haven't sold anything yet, but they were looking out and like, it's, it's, they're near an observatory. So dark sky is extremely, we need, we need guys like, like you and guys like me and Greg to get on board <laughs> with this and try to figure out a way because it's so tough to sell. It really is. Like it we is. had a project the other day and I went in, I spoke, like, I didn't want to lose the deal on it. Right, because you're talking about a big um, 3PL logistics warehouse. You're talking about, you know, okay. Greg, 35. I don't know if it was 35 or 36 outdoor lights and wall packs and all this sort of uh -huh. stuff, right? And I went in and I, I gave the pitch, and I'm the host of the Starving for Dark, co-host of the Starving for Darkness podcast. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I went in and I just said, like, you know, we could do cutoffs, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" It's <laughs> like, yeah. so I have less light and it's not white. I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what I'm pitching here, and he's like, no, dude. We're going to go with the original Gosh. proposal, which is you just light up, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You, you end up dealing with the individual municipalities a lot. Yeah. And they'll just, they're just copying and pasting something from somewhere. Yeah. And the reason why they don't want to enforce their model lighting ordinances is because the, the municipalities are the biggest offenders.
of the model of the lighting ordinances. Well, if you're going down a street light or a decorative street lighting yeah. project, you got two different cobra cobra yeah. heads are one color, decoratives another color. No, but I mean um, their own buildings and their own street lights are violating all their light trespass laws. So. Yeah, but I mean we're it's and sometimes they just get the ridiculous and the requirements and the foot candles at the edge. So it's sort of related to dark sky. It's you know light trespass, you know sky glow kind of thing. But it's still we're talking about control of light, preventing it from going where it shouldn't go. Right, so municipalities can be tough to navigate around that. And sometimes the projects end up getting more expensive than they need to be because of very minor issues, you know, at property yeah. lines or at the horizontal. So you need to add poles, right, along the perimeter, put the backlight shields. So you need to add more. And I don't, I don't know where that compromise is, right? I don't know where it makes the most sense, but I know adding 25% of the cost for, for way less percentage you know, decrease and so the the light doesn't go as far, and it's not yeah. as white colored. What are you talking about, yeah. bud? That's what I'm paying for. You know, it's it's <laughs> really tough, man. It's so tough yeah. for us. Hey, Justin, man, you're a badass. I really appreciate you and and for coming on the show. And I know there's going to be some comments saying, you know, like call it and shut up or whatever. But hey, man, I really had a good time chatting with you, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate being appreciate being on. I'll be uh, listening in the future, and uh, you guys are doing a great work here, man. It's, it's great to see. Yeah, man. Thank you. Hey, and if you made it this far with us, I know I speak on behalf of Justin and Greg and everybody else. That you got to go to satco.com, <laughs> satco.com. They do the light thing. They do the right thing, Greg Eric. <laughs> Threw me off with that one. I thought you were missing Satco, but yes, do go to Satco. Traditional lighting, LED lighting, decorative fixtures, components, everything lighting related Satco has. Yeah, man, they're the best. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. And this time, I mean it, folks, if you made it this far with us. I speak on behalf of Justin and Greg and everyone at Nailed Hey. We really appreciate you, all you lighting peeps out there. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.